what is the unique thing? What is the battlefield that God has called you to? What community has God placed you in? There are places in this country alone where the battlefield is way, way different. And your worship needs to be sensitive to those things. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the New Release Today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I've mentioned this in past episodes, but I'm a self-proclaimed numbers nerd. I've been an accountant most of my life and have used numbers to help businesses improve. And as you can imagine, I've paid a lot of attention to the audience numbers for this podcast, too. When I started this podcast, I envisioned the opportunity to introduce young people to some of the legacy artists that don't get as much attention as they used to on the radio. But looking at the demographics for my podcast software, I found that nearly three-quarters of listeners are above the age of 45. And the over-45 community also makes up 57% of the people visiting my webpage. So why is this important for me to share with us today? In this episode, I'm chatting with Tony Ellenberg about being a worship shepherd or mentor. And we're talking about the importance of the more mature folks like you and me being involved with and helping coach the younger generation in the art of worship. I've often lamented that the Christian music industry doesn't pay attention to the legacy artists that we grew up listening to, but that sure does not give us the right to throw away our experience. We should be imparting the things we've learned to this next generation of worship leaders, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So I hope you'll stick around for this conversation, which we'll jump into right after I tell you a little bit about Mercy Inc. For most of us, access to clean drinking water is as simple as walking to the sink and filling our glass. In other countries, it is typical that children or women walk for miles to access a water source that is often dirty and full of bacteria. Globally, over 3 million of the world's poor die each year due to waterborne diseases. And according to the World Health Organization, 750 million people do not have access to clean water. Safe, Clean water and proper sanitation are essential for hygiene and good health. And Mercy works with ministry partners in South Asia to provide community wells and filtration systems so that people have access to clean, safe drinking water. After installing clean water systems, families report that their health and particularly their children's health improves significantly. As the wells are installed and maintained, the message of Jesus is also being shared and people are learning about the living water of Christ as they receive the clean water that they so desperately need. According to Mercy's statistics, nearly 300 people make a personal decision for Christ at each of those wells. Would you like to learn more about the Jesus Wells Project? Head over to mercyinc.org water. That's mercyinc.org water, and you can help provide living water in addition to clean, safe drinking water. 
Music is in Tony Ellenberg's veins. As a recording artist, he's had 10 songs in the top 20 charts. As a songwriter, he's penned songs for Christian and mainstream artists alike. He has served as a music pastor, and now he works as a mentor to worship leaders and songwriters. And just this year, he published a new book called A Worship Shepherd, A Call to Gospel-Centered Worship. And I'm excited to catch up with Tony and find out what God's doing in his life today. So welcome to the podcast, Tony Ellenberg. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Dave. What a thrill. It's good to talk to you and your audience. It's good to connect again. We were talking a little bit before. We may have had something way back in the yesteryear where we connected. (laughs) In another life, you and I probably talked on the phone more often than not. Yeah, well, my first remembrance of you was uh, on your song, Count It All Joy, from your first things first down back in 86. been in that record and uh, but l- let's talk a little bit about how you got started in music i know you said i said music's in your veins you talk about music as part of your lifelong journey right yes you know i i was a young student at uh, belmont university there in nashville okay uh, i knew that music was going to be a part of my what i wanted to be involved with i studied voice at the university of montana for almost three years and got to my senior year and decided I really, there's not many options for a degree in music other than to teach. Right. And I thought, you know, it's really not what I, how I wanted to connect to music. So I found Belmont university and transferred there my senior year and ended up with a music business degree, Okay, which was really more in line with what I wanted to do. When I went to Nashville, I was a Christian and I was a songwriter, but I wasn't a Christian songwriter. I didn't even know the outlet existed, to be (laughs) honest with you. Yeah. And when I got there, I met some producers of Christian music and artists and writers. And I thought, what a great opportunity to connect uh, and to bring together my faith and my gifting, and and what a great opportunity to express that. So I began writing Christian music, and that has really become my passion. Yeah. Well, in your bio, you mentioned that you're, uh, growing up, your guitar was your best friend. So what, yeah. what was kind of your genesis of even wanting to pursue music in the first place? Yeah. Well, you know, music to me has always been an escape. Okay. You know, there were, I, I don't think your audience probably knows this about me, but when I was young, um, I had polio uh-huh. and uh, I had to wear a brace on my, on my right leg until I was about 10 years old. And, uh, you know, all of the things that go with difficulties yeah. and, uh, you know, we've all got our measure of uh, uh, of suffering that we go through. Uh, no, you know, mine's no greater than anyone else's, but, um, you know, going through childhood with a, with a brace on your leg, there's, there's a lot of things that come with that. 
um, uh, in the way of rejection. Yeah. And so music was my, was my refuge. It was the place that I could go and I could, you know, do the thing that seemed to come very easy to me. And, and I could kind of isolate myself. And that was what drew me to music in the first place. So what caused you to start? I mean, as a picked on kid, I can only imagine what, mm-hmm. what made it that you said, maybe I could share these songs and not just hide behind the guitar, so to speak, but that it became yeah. kind of your, your calling card. Well, you know, I, as I grew and as I came to faith in the Lord, as I came to a place in my life where God began to reveal to me that there is an aspect of God that sometimes the only way we can learn that that part of God is through valleys. Mm, yes, and, and sometimes they're pretty deep valleys. And uh, as I read Paul and his writings, uh, he refers many times to the thorn mm. in his flesh. Yeah, and and then you discover that Paul is writing a lot of these these encouraging and grace filled words in scripture from prison, right. from being in chains. And you wonder to yourself, where, where does this, where does this joy come from this contentment and this yeah. peace? And I began, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really condensing a lot of my life into a few short sentences, but these sure. things didn't come to me quickly. Um, in the course of my life, uh, my music began to have more uh, of an outlet for expressing uh, what I've gone through. There's a song that David had, David Baroni, I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember David. Yes, absolutely. He and I wrote together um, called Precious Suffering, which sounds like they're almost di- diametrically opposed words. Yeah. But, but the reality is that uh, you know, I've seen God do great works of healing in, in my own life, in my own family. I've seen God heal, and I, I wouldn't deny someone uh, God's healing. I've seen him do it. But there's something so precious that I have learned in the midst of my suffering and the midst of my pain. And, and that is that God is all sufficient. His grace is sufficient to reach yes. in the deepest, the deepest valley, the deepest day, the darkest day, the most pain that I've ever been through, and to redeem it and to use it for God's glory. Yeah. Um, you know, Paul said, oh, that I may know him. And he says, and the power of his resurrection. And man, I want to know that kind of power. Yeah. I, who wouldn't? Yeah. I mean, so, uh, but he goes on to say, and the fellowship of his suffering. And yeah. it's like, where does that come from? What? Why would we want to participate in suffering for the sake of, of Christ? But Paul came to this conclusion in his writing. He said, I've learned whatever the circumstance to be content. So Paul Paul's come to this conclusion, whether I'm in a jail cell, whether I am chained and bound, I have learned to be content. And I, 
you know, in this world that you and I live in today, in this COVID reality, uh, fearful uh, of what might happen, things are, are, you know, wars and and all kinds of calamity and chaos in the world. And sometimes we get worried. But when you come to that place in your life where you realize, I can be on the mountaintop or I can be in the valley. And I've learned that God is all sufficient in both places. And Dave, probably the most important thing is there's an aspect of our Father that the only place we learn that aspect is in the valley. And I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want anyone to be denied the healing that they're praying for, but don't be so consumed with healing that you miss what God wanted to teach you through the trial in the first place. Sometimes that is more valuable to you than anything. Well, I think about the fact that, you know, God made us uh, in his image. And so we feel a lot of the times we feel self-sufficient. We've been given gifts. I can do this. And and those are the times where we go, yeah, this is great. I can do whatever. But it's those times where we recognize our own limitation where we say, oh my gosh, Lord, I need help. Uh, you know, people turn to all kinds of things to for that assistance, drugs or alcohol or workaholism or whatever it is, but to understand the truth of God's presence is the, what we need, and that's not revealed until we are experiencing our weakness. Yeah. You know, and I think that's because we're we're standing in the way. We're getting in the way of it. Oh, Lord, I don't need you now. I've got it under control. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> and it's when they're yeah. falling flat on your face and, you know, you're looking like an idiot. That's when you say, oh, my God, please help me. Help me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to learn that lesson myself. God gives me a vision for something, and in my sufficiency— I take off and I leave God in a cloud of dust <laughs> yeah. and until I hit the edge and then God says, uh, come back, come, yeah. come back here. I mean, I, I did give you vision, but also gave you, I want to give you some specificity about what I, the vision that I gave you. So I'm, I'm guilty. The phrase that I've been using a lot lately, and I just love this, is after we kind of pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off and look back and look at all the tough stuff it's Oh, so that's what you were trying to teach me. <laughs> and I you know, think I think our time in heaven is going to be spent a lot going, oh, I get it now, God. Sorry yeah. I was so dense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Dave, you, you've been in radio and you understand this, but there's some songs that you put on an album that you know when you're in the studio working on it that this is what we call radio candy. Yeah. Radio stations are going to play this because it it fits. But when you write a song like Precious Suffering, (laughs) you know, you don't really expect you're going to get a lot of airplay on on a song like that. And I don't know of any song that I ever had to unpack for people more than I did this particular song. But but I I tell you, there is... uh, you, you have to learn, like you were just talking about, there's a time when this needs to be spoken. I don't go into emergency rooms telling people, I'm so excited for your broken <laughs> leg or your broken arm. I mean, you don't, there's a, 
that God gives you wisdom is when and how to explain God can redeem the worst day of your life. And yeah. he will when you, when you learn to give those things to him. So what was it about your story that you're starting to recognize this stuff as a young person and recognize, I want to shift my music that direction rather than singing about, you know, hey, the sky's blue and I got a new truck. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, I, I had I had good mentors. Uh, I don't know if your audience, your audience does know Greg Nelson. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. He, he is such a prolific writer, but he was such a good mentor. And uh, he was a mentor for a lot of artists, actually, quietly served many of us. And he said something to me one time, and he said, Tony, a lot of your stuff sounds like some other people. He goes, I need you to begin to focus on what is it that God is saying in you mm. and through you. Yeah. I really don't care to hear another version of someone else. And it's hard not when you're in that, you're kind of in a bubble there in Nashville and you're riding with other riders and you can't help but, you know, start to sound a little bit alike. But, but I had to learn that there was a deposit that God was making in me mm. that was wholly and completely different. And I was never going to be with a band in front of large audiences. I have a guitar and I had a stool. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. And that was how God wanted to use me. And it was okay. I came, I came to embrace the thing that God was saying to me and through me. And it really was a nice transition mm. when I went into leading worship. So, because it was, you know, it was all about learning to be sensitive to the moment. Yeah. What is the song God wants me to sing now? You know? Well, and I, so. part of the problem with the, the music industry in general, and I think even more so the Christian music industry is we'll have a big shot uh, and, and Amy Grant or a Michael W. Smith. And so then all the people beyond Oh, let's copy that because that worked. Well, yeah. part of the problem is they're they're not copying the heart of the song. They're copying right. the production and the presentation. And really the songs, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, the songs that are really meaningful come out of that angst, that heartbreak, that difficulty. And yeah, sure, it may be a poppy song or a rock song or whatever, but they're missing that it. And that it yeah. is the the part of the soul that is making you like you said an individual person not a copycat of everybody else yeah oh that's a good point dave that's a very fine point of of artistry and you know the fact that amy grant and michael w smith have that platform i pray for them uh, i don't doubt their sincerity and that god has called them to that to that place of responsibility. And it's, it's a huge responsibility. Yes. They wear it very well. Stephen Curtis Chapman is a good friend of mine. And I can't, can't think of a guy that deserves the accolades that he has gotten. And uh, he wears that very well. Yeah. And it comes with a great amount of responsibility and he wears it very well. But, but I, 
I, I think it's important to sit in the place and learning to embrace who you are and what it is that God has called you to do. Maybe you're not going to have the big audiences, but it's no less important to the body of Christ and and to people who are in desperate need in the middle of the night in a place across the world for the message that you, that God has given you. And uh, so it's important to be obedient to what it is that God's called you to do. And however that looks, and it's something, you know, Dave, that has actually served me as I've moved into, you know, investing and mentoring young worship leaders and, 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 you know, some of that same mentality comes. I mean, we see hill songs and we see uh, Gateway and we see some of the big uh, high-profile worship ministries, and sometimes we get a little confused in thinking, "I've got to make it look like that." Right. I've got to make it sound like that in order for it to be authentic and real. And that's how I, I've invested in worship ministries is what is the unique thing? What is the battlefield that God has called you to? What community has God placed you in? Believe it or not, you know, uh, there are places in this country alone where the battlefield is way, way different. Yeah, yeah. And your worship needs to be sensitive to those things. Well, and that's, you know, I love the worship industry. I love the fact that we're talking about singing to God corporately. But for me, where the rubber meets the road is exactly what you were talking about, Tony, is the fact that we need to be singing songs that are meaningful to the the congregation that's meeting in our local area. And that may be a fam that maybe we're in an area that's, that's overrun by poverty those songs are going to be a lot different than a mega church where, you know, everybody's, you know, and so we need to be focusing our, our, our worship on how do we minister to the church? Not how can we sound like the biggies, right? (laughs) Oh, so good. And and so I think this gets back to what we were talking about briefly earlier is let's don't be copycats. Let's point at, at what is worship of God look like for our community. And that kind of ties into your book you've just released, and I was, I was one of the questions I, I wrote down is, your book is called A Worship Shepherd, A Call to Gospel-Centered Worship, and I wanted to ask you, why did you need to put gospel-centered worship in there? Why not just a worship shepherd, a call to worship? There's nothing magical about gospel-centered uh, other than it's about people. I think the heart of God, it begins and ends with people. All of God's creation says that he spoke these things into existence. But when it came to man, it says that he made God in his own image with his hands. And he set us apart from the rest of creation. And so when it comes to our music, if if people are not central to to what it is that we're doing, I think we're misusing the creation of mm. music. And I'm not talking about simply the congregations. I'm talking about the worship teams yeah. um, and, and, and worship leaders. Uh, we need to learn to give worship leaders a context for their gift within the church. And there's a tremendous 
chasm and separation between, uh, like you're talking about imitation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just getting up there and trying to make it look and sound like what you've seen on, you know, on television or on YouTube or like you said, if you're in an area like Eastern Kentucky, mm-hmm. you're likely going to be surrounded with a lot of bluegrass musicians. I would suggest you be the best bluegrass worship in America. Yeah. Because you've got great bluegrass musicians. And that will most likely minister to those people and speak to who they are than anything that's coming out of Hill Songs. Yeah. Not that those things are bad. I think Correct. We, we learn so much from from these high profile worship ministries and the the good and proper thing is to celebrate with them what God is doing but you hope that it's theologically sound and you hope that it's ministering to the needs of that community but God inhabits the praises of his people yeah. not our productions not the lighting it's what we ministered. Well, you had another thing in your book, and I read just a little snippet of it that talked about how we train up our pastors and we spend, you know, we encourage them to go to college and to go to get their degrees and stuff. And then we pick the three or four kids off the front row in the church that know how to play an instrument <laughs> and a drum and we throw them and we ask them to lead worship with no spiritual backing. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how we fix that. Well, you know, I, I tell you, the uh, I heard a pastor say one time, I don't know if he was kidding or not. I think he was. I hope he was. But he said, you know, I've learned that find the youngest kid who can play guitar or a keyboard in your congregation and let them build your worship ministry. Mm. And I thought, man, I I hope that more thought has gone into it than that, uh, because, you know, those that we entrust to lead us in worship, that's a that's a heavy and weighty responsibility. Absolutely. And to entrust that to to people who, for no fault of their own, are unprepared to do that is just being it's being a little reckless, first of all, with worship, not to mention with the regard that we have for stewarding people. And, and setting them up to succeed. And so my heart goes out to worship leaders and young worship leaders. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have a, a disdain for people that aren't doing it right. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Uh, my, my heart now and my passion is to come alongside these people and give them a context for their gift and, and uh, help them to learn to be sat down in their spirit mm. regarding performance yeah. and worship yeah, and how those two things relate. Well, I think it's kind of an indication of our music industry because we're always wanting the youngest and what's the next young thing. And once you get above about 35, you're yesterday's news. And I think yeah. sometimes churches are looking for that same. We want the young flash on the stage because that's going to draw a crowd but where do we? Yeah. How do we encourage then? And I think discipleship is a thing that a lot of our churches are struggling with anyway. But how do we mentor not only musically but spiritually and emotionally our young artists that we're asking to be leaders in our worship? And and how do we encourage them to understand the importance of the spiritual aspect of that as well as the aspect of the craft of playing their instrument? 
Yeah, uh, good question. Uh, you know, I I think there's there is. First of all, let me preface this by saying, if you're an elder person who has been involved in worship within the church, uh, don't discount the download that God has made in you through the years regarding worship. And don't be rejected as a result of maybe the younger group of kids that are coming up uh, because there is a deposit that God has made in you. So be ready to impart mm-hmm. that. Be be willing to, to sit on the front row for a while and maybe, you know, for a long while, and be willing to coach. I think there's sometimes there's a the problem exists there where someone feels like if I can't be on the platform, mm, then yeah. I'm of no value. And that's 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 not that's not from the Lord, I don't think. But the other part of that is is for the young people, I think I think we need to be giving them opportunities to be able to, you know. When I, I just was 15 years with a church in North Dallas, and one of the aspects of what we were doing, we wanted our worship ministry to be a picture of the church. Hmm. Um, we are many members of one body, and we all, you know, the hand cannot say to the eye, I have no need of thee. Right. In other words, there is... The worship team is the perfect picture every Sunday morning of a multi-generational, multi-everything yeah. coming together and for one purpose, and that is to glorify God. And so I wanted our worship ministry to look multi-generational. Yeah. Um, and we did. Uh, and it was quite an impressive thing. We had four teams wow. uh, that came up on the platform every week, and there was great impartation both ways. Yeah. Some of the older folks were asking, leaning over and asking, hey, we're what pedal are you using? You know, guitar players, <laughs> yeah. what pedal are you using there? You know, and they're getting an impartation of equipment and sounds and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But then also there's an impartation about learning from the older worship about what we're doing. What's the culture? What's the vision? Yeah. What's the mission and values of worship ministry that are, that are imparted from an older person. And we had a good balance of that. And I would encourage that. So as you're looking forward and you're seeing this young crop of worship leaders and worship pastors coming up, what excites you the most about the the generation that's in front of us that maybe makes it different from the way we did it when we were, when we were that generation? I'm excited. Uh, I'm, I'm a songwriter and I like a, I, I appreciate a well-crafted song. Yeah. As a worship pastor and a shepherd who wants to shepherd the hearts of those that he's called to lead, I really appreciate songs that allow my congregation to have an encounter with God. Yes. So somewhere in between those two things, you you hope they eventually come together where I, I really appreciate songs that are well-crafted that also feed my flock yeah. and feed my sheep. And I'm seeing some writers 
that are doing that. And it's one of those things where, you know, I can stare at a Picasso and I, I just don't understand right. as a, the, the genius that goes into it. I, I, I get bored with it real quick. But when it comes to music, I've spent most of my adult life learning the difference between performance and worship and what is the good place where the art really meets the craft. And finally, we're starting to see those worlds come together where some of these young writers are really writing some good, well-crafted songs that also feed the congregation and connect us yeah. with the story of, of redemption and, and remind us of our role in the history of the church. Those are so important and vital. I would stop short of calling it a renaissance, mm. but I'm starting to see some writers that get it. And I don't know if anybody's been mentoring them to do that, but it's, it's exciting to me. That's exciting to hear. You've just released this book, Worship Shepherd, A Call to Gospel-Centered Worship. Where can people pick up that book, and where can we find out more about what you're doing in worship and leader mentorship? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. It is available on Amazon. Uh, the audio book will be coming out shortly. Uh, that's always the last thing in the process. Also, when it comes to the mentoring part of it, uh, I can only do a limited number of churches, as you would imagine. Right. I mean, I'm old for heaven's sakes. I can't, <laughs> I can't go. But you know, the one good thing that came out of the Zoom COVID deal was the Zoom meetings, yeah. like we're you know able to do here. But I've been meeting with worship leaders all over the world, Fun. for that matter, just talking about worship and mentoring and fathering and shepherding, and I love doing that. And so I'm opening myself up to be able to do that with worship leaders. And if anyone is interested, they can sure contact me uh, through uh, my website, which is very simply TonyEllenberg.com. And Ellenberg is with one L. I've said that since I was young. Yep. <laughs> uh, they can reach me there and get any information regarding any kind of mentoring and uh, and the book and my music that there may be some that still remember the music. Every Saturday, I send out a newsletter asking people to pray for artists and musicians and people that are helping us with the soundtrack of the Christian faith. How can we specifically be praying for you in the weeks and months that are coming up? Oh, thank you, Dave. You know, I, I, this is a new season for me. Uh, the book is exciting. Uh, and we are literally kind of in this transition uh, from I resigned from my church. I have written this book and we've released it. And we're just really wanting God to give us clarity on what our next assignment is mm -hmm. and what that looks like. We're in a good place, but it's kind of a it's a little bit unknown right now. So we would appreciate prayers for clarity. Thanks for sharing with us today, Tony. I appreciate your reminder that we are called by God to do the work He has called us to. That may mean focusing on the people and the community of believers where we are planted right now. We should be doing everything we can to invest in, cultivate, and nurture those around us.
as worship leaders, that might mean using your experience to show that young guitar prodigy how to use his gifts to lead worship. Or it might mean befriending a young person at church who doesn't have a parental role model and investing in their lives. Being an encourager and mentor is something that we are taught in in the Bible. Proverbs 27:17 says, "Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another." Matthew 28:19 through 20 tells us to make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that God has commanded. Jesus himself demonstrated mentorship by taking 12 men under his wings for 3 years, living with them, working alongside them, and teaching the disciples so that they would be ready to go out and spread the good news on their own. So let's use today's conversation as an encouragement for us to be actively involved with the people around us. Let's learn from each other, being equally quick to learn new things as we are to impart our wisdom on our younger generation. And let's stay rooted in our relationship with God so that He provides us with the words to say and the tasks to demonstrate, as well as the people to grow with. Let's not lose sight of the fact that God is going to put a smack dab in the middle of the situations and people he needs us to invest in. This week, I featured Tony Ellenberg's song, Count It All Joy, which you can find on his album, First Things First. I'd like to thank Tony for the permission to share a clip of that song with you, and you can pick up that album as well as his new book, A Worship Shepherd, A Call to Gospel-Centered Worship, by visiting Tony's website. And as I usually do, I'll put those links into the show notes for this episode. And remember, purchasing music directly from the website is the best way to help support Tony and his work. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I'm grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you be willing to rate us on your favorite podcast app? A five-star rating or a review really helps us spread the word about this show. And today, I'd like to thank Homeschooler Mom X2, who wrote, I appreciate that the conversation is so much more than just music in the industry. Instead, the conversation is focused on following after Jesus. Thanks, Homeschooler Mom. I appreciate those kind words. Next week, I'm talking with Charlie Hall, another worship leader who has been actively involved in the passion movement as well as a worship pastor in his home church. So be sure to join me next week and every week when I share stories of the people you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. And to close things out today, I want to remind you again, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. It's time for another Mischievous Mowers Miscellaneous Misquotes. Whoever came up with the word for dentures really missed an opportunity. They could have called them substitutes. <laughs> <laughs>